so we're in a series called Identity Crisis, and um, one of the reasons why I, I wanted to talk about this series is because I think uh, our culture, um, uh, especially in the U.S., is very individual-focused. Uh, we focus on our individual rights. We focus on our own personal life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, and yet, um, uh, addiction's at an all-time high, all right? We're, we have an opiate problem in, in America. Like, what we're doing is not working, and so last week, we kicked off the series, and we talked about where do we actually even find our identity? Why, why are we here? Why are you here? Why, 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 are you, why were you born? What, and we, we started talking about this kind of like deep philosophical thing, and what we came to the conclusion was yesterday was that our, our true identity is found in Jesus. Our, our, our true identity is found in Christ, and, and, and that's where fulfillment comes from. And that's where, um, uh, as we were created with our different strengths and our different giftings and all these k- kinds of things, they're to be uh, worked out through our, our salvation in, in Christ. This morning, what I'd like to talk about is this question. What does it mean to be successful? I, I think everybody in this room, myself included, would want to be successful at, at something. And maybe for some of you, you, you want to be successful parents. And that means something to you, a certain thing. Maybe your kids, you know, go to a certain school or they, they, they follow Jesus their whole life or whatever. I just did a quick search, just arbitrary search on what it means to be successful. And uh, I just grabbed, a, grabbed an image and uh, out of thin air, and this will be the last Tom Brady reference, but I promise. Okay, so I'm, I just thought that would be annoying. So, uh, but uh, but what does it what does it mean to be successful? Is it a certain amount of money for you that would say, yeah, then that then I, I would be successful? I talked to a, a grown man, probably in his fifties, and you know what he he said? He said, I I, I want my mom to tell me she's proud of me. The dude's 50, and that was success for him. He's working all this time just to have his mom say she's proud of him. That just broke my heart, but that's how he identified it. Maybe for you, success is some type of uh, degrees, Um, but all of us, depending on where we are, maybe success for you is retirement. You get to a place where you don't have to report to anybody. And maybe for you, you've arrived. Yeah, some of you are like raising your hands. Like, you, you're like <laughs> sign, me, sign me up, please. It's funny, pastors uh, are not immune to this. Uh, uh, pastors have their own way to gauge whether or not they're successful. And if you're not careful, you can fall into it. And most of it has to do with uh, the size of whatever church you're, you're running, okay? So I call it, uh, well, I call it ministry butt sniffing. Like, you know how you have two dogs get together and they, <laughs> they circle around each other? They're trying to see who's the bigger dog, right? 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 So pastors will do this and they'll, and they'll, and they'll, they'll keep circling around because they want to get to the thing of how, how, big, how big's your church. That's what they want to know. And that way they can decide whether or not they're, you know, they're more successful than the other. And that's the other problem. With, I've never done that, by the way. I'm a man of God for crying out loud. 
But we all in our different ways have different things that, that, that decide whether we're successful or not. One of the things we'll do, and we'll be talking about this, I think, in week four or five, we'll be talking about how we compare. We compare to one another. And so, okay, so maybe I'm not that successful, but I know I'm more successful than that person. <laughs> and that makes me, makes me feel good. What, what does it mean, bless you, what does it mean to be, to be successful? And how, really more importantly, how do we become successful? Because that makes us feel good. Well, I was doing some research this week, and other than pulling pictures of Tom Brady off the internet, um, there was this article in the Huffington Post, and if you're not familiar with the Huffington Post, it's just people who are smarter than you writing stuff. Um, But they had this interesting article called, What Does It Mean? This is so fascinating to me. It's so telling. What does it mean to be successful? Nine millionaires explain. So I guess being a millionaire qualifies you to decide for me what success is. It's just so telling. And so they put these nine things on here, and these are from different millionaires. And just, just take a look at how arbitrary and, and difficult this is to even quantify. Uh, one, uniting people to achieve a vision. Okay, that, that's, that's being successful. What if the vision is looting a store? Does that make you successful? I have no idea. Uh, helping others succeed. That sounds great, but helping them su- succeed at what? Maybe you're helping them succeed at something that they shouldn't be su- succeeding at. Giving of yourself. Sounds beautiful. It was like the, uh, the sayings that we talked about last week. Follow your dreams. They know the way. Whatever that means. Family. That's success. What, having a family? Is it a healthy family? Is it like, uh, like what, what does that mean? Overcoming fear, working hard, changing lives, freedom, doing something you love. That is supposedly success. How am I supposed to know if I'm successful or not with this list? There's another... Uh, found another thing, the road to success, and it's a snapshot. It might not be difficult. It might be difficult for you to see, but uh, over there, if you're single, success is being married, (laughs) right? Yeah, congratulations, all of you, right? So if you're single, it's like, I'm not not successful because I need to be married. That's not even true. Uh, For kids, if you have zero kids, success is two kids, (laughs) like not even one kid, it's two. So if you only have one kid, oh, sorry about that. Uh, this, I love this one. If you have three friends, success is four friends. <laughs> Okie doke. Um, this was fascinating. If you have your bachelor's, success is having your bachelor's. That's just like e- e- even. I don't know why. If you make $57,000, success is $147,000. Yeah. Yes, please. This was weird. Hours worked. 34 hours a week. Success is working 31 hours a week. Who, in, who works 34 hours a week? Like, that's already success, right? Let's, let's, let's start with 60 and move backwards, okay? Like, where do these people live? Uh, commute time. They certainly don't live in Los Angeles because it's 17 minutes and success would be 10. Um, your workplace, if it's not at home, 
you're not successful at all, apparently. <laughs> and then at home is success. Uh, time off, two and a half weeks, that's great. Uh, at five and uh, a, a third would be, would be success. Travel, you can see it there. This is house value, 248000 Success would be 461000 If you find a house for 461000 buy it, okay? <laughs> Just, well, I don't care what you have to do, is buy that thing. Go in with some friends. The, you got four now, okay? You, between the four of you, you could buy a house. We're going we're gonna to get to the Bible in just a second. And the car value, 15,000 success is 41,000. I don't know if you saw this week, Jeff Bezos, who's a, worth about $144 billion. You'd think he's successful, right? He can't even keep his marriage together. Went and had, I, I put that wife in strife. I, I put those on there myself. Uh, but that's his wife of 25 years. And we think he's so successful, and yet his marriage falls apart. Elon Musk, who is the CEO of two companies, <laughs> I mean, SpaceX and uh, Tesla, um, we think of him as successful, but he can't stay off Twitter, and he might lose being CEO of one of his corporations because he's He's just gone off the rails. What does it mean to be successful? Graduate from Harvard. Great, good for you. So did the Unabomber. He graduated from Harvard. Here's what I want you to see this morning. We're going to see it through the scripture. Obedience, not abundance, is the measure of success in the kingdom of God. Obedience, not abundance. Abundance is arbitrary. How many friends I have, where I live, the value of my house, how, you know, which, how, if I'm married, not married, kids, not kids. Obedience, not abundance, is the measure of success in the kingdom of God. How are you doing obeying your heavenly father? When he tells you to do something, do you do it? When he tells you not to do something, do you not do it? This is all throughout Scripture. This is all throughout his, the history of the people of Israel. God, from the very beginning of time, desired to have a relationship with you and I. And because of our brokenness, because of our sinful nature, and because we want to do our own thing, we end up going the wrong way. And in doing so, we are not successful in life. We sang this morning over and over again, you are good, you are good, you are good. That the laws and the principles and the word of God was set up not to stifle us, not to uh, stop us from doing what we want to do. It's because God wants you to be successful at life. And the way we are successful is through obedience, not abundance. We're going to look at two sections of Scripture this morning. Uh, one is out of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs was written by the wisest man who ever lived. His name is Solomon. And he became the wisest man because uh, he, had been, uh, he was supposed to take over Israel. Uh, and he went before God and, and, it, it, and he said, God, I've got to take over Israel. I don't know what I was doing. He was very young at the time. And God said, yeah, for anything. 
And, and, he, and he, he literally said, I need wisdom to lead this great people of yours. And God said, okay, I'm not only going to give you the wisdom, I'm going to give you everything that goes with wisdom. The tragedy of Solomon was with all that wisdom and all that money and all that, the, the riches and the fame, people would come from all over and they'd sit and they'd ask Solomon these questions and his, through his wisdom, he would, he would answer them. He ended up destroying Israel because of his disobedience, not because he didn't have enough money. His son raised a son, and he took over, and then the kingdom got divided. But prior to that, he wrote this literature that helps us understand the heart of God. And it's in what we call Proverbs. He says uh, in Proverbs 4.10, Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. Solomon is talking about this causal relationship between obedience and having what we would call success. Now, again, just so we're clear on the definition, again, I don't mean success means you're going to be without problems, okay? That, that's not even scriptural, okay? What I mean by success is that you're living your life as you were designed by God to live it. That's the best, we would call that shalom, the way things ought to be, universal flourishing, So he says, listen to my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. Uh, I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. Following God is about following straight paths. He says, when you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. You get this idea that there's somebody walking through life with less degree of difficulty than those around them. This is the, the, the word picture that Solomon is trying to get. That in order to get through life with the least amount of stumbling, the least amount of issues, the least amount of pain has to do with listening and obeying instruction. It says in verse uh, 13... Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your, what? Life. The word of God, as it instructs, as it is clear, the the guiding of the Holy Spirit as he makes things aware in your life, your ability to obey, your ability to follow uh, that instruction, your ability to, uh, to listen and to humble yourself and to say, okay, God, not my will, but your will will have a direct impact on your life. Following that instruction is your life. Now, I understand what it's like to hear from God on something that you don't want to do <laughs> or something where God is saying, wait, the worst thing I would he, that I hear from God is wait. I'd rather hear no. I'd rather like so then at least I get it over with. But wait is the worst for me. I don't know if it is for you as well. I'll ask the Lord, "Hey Lord, I'd, I'd like to you know I, I want to move in this direction," and He hold, hold on, not so fast. I'm like, God, ah. and what do I want to do? I want to do shortcuts. I want to get get it get it done. We had this happen in our board. Uh, 
in our board, one of our board meetings. I won't mention the person because um, uh, Becky will be embarrassed. But um, <laughs> we, uh, so we're in this board meeting and we, you know, we need money to do the parking lot. We've been talking about the parking lot ever since I've been here. Matter of fact, we've been talking about the parking lot for eight years before I got here. If you look at board meeting notes, for 20 years we've been talking about the parking lot, parking lot, parking lot. And I'm just like, it's just get a loan and do the parking lot. And then this person on the board says, uh, I think we should pray about it. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. What, what good is that going to do? <laughs> you think like money's just going to like fall out of heaven, right? So, but I humbled myself and listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit, Becky Mills. And, uh, <laughs> and so we begin, begin, begin to pray. Within three weeks, our denomination had given us a grant for $150,000 in order to do our parking lot. But I wanted, to, I wanted to do it quick. I wanted to get it done. I'm a grinder. I'm a getter-dunner, okay? I like to just do it. I would have missed out. I would have missed out on God's best for me because I don't like to hear wait. Solomon is saying to his son, hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Now, oftentimes we'll think to ourselves, wicked and evildoers, those sound like really strong words. Like it sounds like murderers and adulterers and all that kind of stuff. And you're thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not doing that. It's basically just any form of idolatry. Anytime we're trying to live our life outside of the will of God, anytime we're trying to get, do our thing instead of his thing, we, that's what walking in the way of evildoers means. He says, avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go your way. Solomon is writing to his son. And I believe the Spirit of God is saying to you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've decided to say, I'm going to live my life according to uh, the Word of God and according to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, your ability to be successful, your ability to live a life with the least amount of pain is dependent on your ability to obey God. This goes all the way back to the beginning of the people of Israel. And so we, we take what Solomon is saying and we go all the way back to Deuteronomy where God is trying to lead this nation out of, uh, uh, to, to, into this land flowing with milk and honey, this promised land. And, 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 and so that they would be his people and they would, uh, he would be their God. And he sets up all these principles. And if you ever read Deuteronomy or some of the things in Leviticus or whatever, it feels, it feels overwhelming about all the laws and regulations and stuff like that. But it all depends on what, how you see the, what the heart of God is. If you believe the heart of God is to stifle your life, to be a killjoy, to get you to not experience all the fun that... Uh, you can experience, then yes, his rules can be burdensome. But if you begin to see him as your heavenly father, who knows you better than you know yourself, who knows what is going to damage you in the long run, who knows what 
what a quick pleasure can be and then what a long-term consequence can be. If you see your heavenly father that way, if you see your heavenly father as when he says no, what he's really saying is that is not the best thing for you. When he says go, what he's saying is that is the best for you. That's your heavenly father. And here's the heart of it in Deuteronomy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. He says, now here... Uh, Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws. So he's about to to stifle the people of Israel. He's about to set up guidelines. He's about to set up boundaries for these people. We do not like boundaries, do we? (laughs) Just, yeah, exactly. We, We as people do not like boundaries. Here's what he says. Follow them. Follow them. Why? So that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Did you know that each of us in this room have a land, have a circle of influence, have a place that God has given us? The people that you work with, the place where you live, The family that you were born into, this is your, uh, we'll we'll talk about it in a little bit where Paul talks about this idea like I can only farm, essentially he's talking about, I can only farm the field God has given me. I cannot worry about someone else's farm. This is the same concept. God has given you a possession of a land, your life. It has so many years. For most of you, probably like 105 But, uh, you know, as many years as you can possibly eke out, (laughs) go for it. But that's it. That's your promised land. And God wants to journey with you through this process with his guidance going, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Yeah, but that person can do that. This is not your best. It's not best for you. And so this is the heart of God. He's talking to his people. Do not add to what I command you. And do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. And then he goes into this example of, um, if you don't keep them, it doesn't go well for you. And he goes, remember? Well, he says, uh, you saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord, your God, are still alive today. Now, he uses this really kind of frightening example of these people who were following after other gods, and and God, and they were destroyed. But the heart of your heavenly Father is this. Anytime you follow other gods, it doesn't end well for you. If money is your God, and you're striving after it, striving after it because success for you is abundance and not obedience, at the end of the day, you may get the money, but at what cost? Your family, relationships, what? If your God is your sexuality, and you decide that that's going to be the thing, and I'm just going to, I have a sexual appetite, and I need to have that appetite satisfied, you're going to follow that path. If you lift up your legs and let the current of culture carry you down, you're going to end up in a place you don't want to be. It always ends up in destruction. If your God is power, if your God is you have to be right, if your God is you just fill in the blank, The heart of your heavenly father says, if you would just 
obey. I was reading in Jeremiah earlier this week. I was telling Rihanna about it. And Jeremiah is kind of a weird book because it's, it's a prophetic writing. And so there's like, there's like poetic language in there and all these different things. And all of a sudden you're reading in Jeremiah 17, all this poetic language and, and stuff like, hey, you better shape up. And, and then it just changes to this narrative, this like prose narrative. And it's almost like God says, listen, listen, listen. Let's just, let's just boil it down to one thing. On the Sabbath, don't carry loads through the city gates. <laughs> and you're like, wow, that, that made it kind of easy. And he says it over and over again. Look, you can work six days a week. Go ahead. But, but what was happening was the people, they were getting so into things and so into trade. And they were making money. And, and God's like, you have to trust me for this stuff. And so he just boils it down. Just don't, just on the Sabbath. That's it. That's all I'm asking. One thing. Just obey that. And it's like, they can't, they can't do it. This is the heart of God. He's like, listen, if you would just obey me, I promise you, it's going to go better for you than if you disobey. Not because I'm going to swat you or I'm angry or whatever, but because it doesn't go well when we don't follow God's commands and his decrees. It just doesn't work for us. We're not designed for that. He says, see, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully. For this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. In other words, as we obey what God is telling us to do or not to do, it begins to have an impact on on our effectiveness, on who we are as followers of Jesus. That that maybe at first you're ridiculed because you have boundaries that you feel God has put in your place that maybe aren't for everybody, but you, you know your relationship with God. And so you're, you have those boundaries and people can poo-poo them and make fun of you and do, do all that. But at the end of the day, obedience results in success. Again, maybe not in abundance, but in the kingdom of God, you're wise and understanding people. He goes on, what other nation is so great to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have uh, such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? And he says this, only be careful. Be careful, be careful, be careful, and watch yourself closely. In other words, when you wake up in the morning and you have some time of self, some introspection, is there something, something in there that needs to be removed? Is there something in there that might be a path that you know, you know what, I don't think I should go down there. So that you do not forget the things that your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. 